sorry, but I think there's only one kid tough enough to continually stand in there behind the state of what the Giants offensive line is right now and continually take the beating he's taking without ever complaining, whining about what the fans are saying about him, never blaming his teammates like guys are straight up missing blocks out there. He never he never points a finger. I'm not sure there's another quarterback out there, Dan, that would still be doing everything he can to go back out there. Daniel Jones has an out right now. He could be shut down for the season with this neck injury, right? It sounds to me like he's pushing to get back out there. Who else would do that with the state of the Giants and where they're at right now? I'm not sure there'd be another guy, right? I, I just think when you yeah. when you count up all the hits he's taking, not only with the sacks, I mean, we're talking about eight, nine, ten sacks a game at this point. It is crazy. Oh, yeah, he doubles as your leading rusher right now. He's taking crazy hits there in the run game, running for his life half the time. People bring up the money all the time, $40 million a year. Uh, he is earning every penny. He is, don't kid yourself there. There's not another quarterback that would be able to stand behind that offensive line and still be coming back to work, wanting to be out there, never complaining. I mean, you can say you're not a Daniel Jones person. You don't think he's the guy. Fine. That's fair. You can have that take. That's a fine. That's a fair take. We talked about that last week's show, Dan, right? That's that's fair. But how can you not respect the guy? All right, welcome into the show. Ryan O'Leary here along with my buddy Dan Benton. It's the Giants Wire podcast. We are powered by the USA Today Network, available wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate you jumping on board. Dan, how you doing this week after another uh, another Giants game that gives us plenty to talk about? I'm excited to dive right into this one. The question, how are you doing, has become so loaded. It's it my favorite question of every week. <laughs> how are you doing? It's, it's such a simple passing comment that we offer to each other, but when you ask it in the context of the New York Giants, I don't know how to answer it, if I'm being completely honest. Um, personally, I'm holding up okay. As far as covering the New York Giants, that's a totally different story. Yeah, uh, we all need a therapy session. We all need counseling. And I think this is there's a lot of stuff we're going to get to on the show. This is where I want to start, though. I think we both want to start here. The Giants and their fans need counseling, Dan. There's something going on between the Giants and their fan base that is just, it's getting cringy, right? I mean, the Evan Neal stuff last week, that BS where uh, he called the fans, what, hot dog and burger flipping sheep, and why would a lion, yeah. you know, why, why would a lion bring himself down to the sheep's level, all that crap, all in, you know, the irony being that he plays more like a lamb than a, than a, than a, than a lion anyway on the field, right, Dan? So that that is... That's crazy. But then we have DJ's neck injury in this game against the Dolphins. People cheering that on social media with some ugly comments. Saquon Barkley actually barking at a fan in the stance out in Miami who was giving DJ the business as he went into the blue medical tent. Like, this is getting awkward between the Giants and their fans, right? Uh, And I know people were really worked up over the Evan Neal stuff, and rightfully so. That dude should not be saying anything, especially the way he's playing. But... Like, how, how do we how do we mend these fences, Dan, between the Giants and their fans? Because it, it isn't at a low point right now. I'm, oh, boy, that is an understatement. Listen, this, this has been this is something that's been brewing for many years. Like you've seen a slow burn, a slow deterioration of the New York Giants fan base. And I don't know if it's a generational thing, if it's a social media thing or or what have you. But they're becoming increasingly direct and disgusting in their commentary. And it's not just towards the players, it's towards the writers and the other content creators. I saw, you know, I saw, I think it was late last week, our friends over at Talking Giants, Bobby and Justin, Giants fans told them that they had better not see them at the Buffalo tailgate or there might be some problems. So 
it's just I don't know if it's again I don't know if it's generational I don't know if it's at a social media thing, if it's just this growing frustration and anger towards the organization itself, and they're just lashing out at anybody and everybody who's associating associated with the organization even tangentially or I don't know I don't have any answers to it, but this season in particular and in the last seven to ten days it's gotten substantially worse at a rapid pace so the slow burns kind of turned into a quick burn and you, you saw some Giants players barking at the fans a little bit earlier this year through the media but then you saw them taking direct shots at them and you see fans taking direct shots at the team and when Evan Neal first came out and insulted the fans in the way that he did I obviously didn't react well to that um not just as a Giants fan myself, but it was just an unbelievable lack of respect for the people that pay your bills. At the same time, there's a part of me that sort of understands the attack because the fans are disgusting, vile, relentless, violent in some cases, at least in their in their words, threatening violence. Uh, and you saw that sort of come to a head when Daniel Jones got injured, because it wasn't just a casual, calm, or even sarcastic celebration. There were people, Giants fans as they call themselves, openly and publicly hoping his career was finished. And it wasn't just in the confines of social media where this disgusting behavior generally resides. It was in his face, in the stadium, as he's going in to get examined people cheering him hit the injury and wishing him ill in ways that are almost incomprehensible. So in that context, I can understand why the, the players are frustrated and lashing out. I, I don't think Evan Neal was particularly intelligent in the approach that he took uh, as it relates to insulting people who are maybe lower on the salary spectrum than others. I think that was entirely unnecessary because it's generally not those struggling people who are the entitled ones that do these insane things and say these insane things anyway. So I felt that was a little misdirected, just like a lot of the fans anger is, but the bottom line is it's becoming easier and easier to understand why the players are clashing with the fans. And again, I'm not defending Evan Neal. I thought what he said was wrong. I appreciated his apology. I do feel like he was genuinely remorseful um, for the words he chosen, but not necessarily the message that he was trying to portray, which honestly, after what we saw happen with Daniel Jones, it's hard to argue with. Rarely do you see guys make an apology and it comes across sincere. And I felt that with Evan Neal. I think he realizes that uh, in the heat of the moment, he said something really, really stupid. Um, uh, whether he really feels that way, I don't know. It sounds like he was just like copying something Micah Parsons would say. Micah Parsons calls himself a lion all the time. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I think he's just trying to be, he's trying to talk himself up when, Honestly, he's he's not playing at a rate where he could talk anything. You know what I mean? Talk any smack to anybody. You know, I don't what, care what they're saying to him. Right. I, I think the irony of that though is that Micah Parsons has actually come out in defense again of Daniel Jones saying that the, the bullying that he's subjected to is unbelievable and he's never seen anything like it. And he will continue to come to Daniel Jones's defense because he feels like the attacks on him are so far above and beyond what is considered okay that he's just not going to sit back and take it. So I do I do find it sort of ironic that if Evan Neal was embodying Micah Parsons, it's Micah Parsons who's right there next to Daniel Jones defending this guy. 
that is pretty good um but you know to that point like to those out there cheering dj's injury like first you should probably take a breather from football for a little while like you've you've lost the connection with sports like you've you've lost what we're out here trying to do you've, you know you've lost the connection with reality yeah true that yeah it's a better way to put it that's a better way to put it and then secondly dan sorry but i think there's only one kid tough enough to continually stand in there behind the state of what the giants offensive line is right now and continually take the beating he's taking without ever complaining whining about what the fans are saying about him never blaming his teammates like guys are straight up missing blocks out there he never he never points a finger I'm not sure there's another quarterback out there, Dan, that would still be doing everything he can to go back out there. Daniel Jones has an out right now. He could be shut down for the season with this neck injury, right? It sounds to me like he's pushing to get back out there. Who else would do that with the state of the Giants and where they're at right now? I'm not sure there'd be another guy, right? I, I just think when you yeah. when you count up all the hits he's taking, not only with the sacks, I mean, we're talking about eight, nine, ten sacks a game at this point. It is crazy. Oh, yeah, he doubles as your leading rusher right now. He's taking crazy hits there in the run game, running for his life half the time. People bring up the money all the time, $40 million a year. Uh, he is earning every penny. He is, don't kid yourself there. There's not another quarterback that would be able to stand behind that offensive line and still be coming back to work, wanting to be out there, never complaining. I mean, you can say you're not a Daniel Jones person. You don't think he's the guy. Fine. That's fair. You can have that take. That's a fine. That's a fair take. We talked about that in last week's show, Dan, right? That's That's fair. But how can you not respect the guy? I mean, come on. He is he is showing up for work. He's doing his best. He's going out there. He is not shying away. Uh, you know, I was telling you this before we even hit record. I wasn't going to bring this up, but I'm watching my I'm a Patriots fan. The Patriots offensive line is just about as bad as the Giants. I think you were telling me you have stats that pack up that the Giants are actually worse. I can't believe it, Dan, because I've been watching the Patriots every week. Uh, they're losing 34 to nothing, 38 to three. This is where they're at. Mac Jones doesn't stand in there like Daniel Jones. Mac Jones is throwing off his back foot. He's shying away. He's throwing interceptions for touchdowns. He's got four turnovers for touchdowns on the year. Mac Jones doesn't play as tough as Daniel Jones. Mac Jones kind of plays like a little bitch out there. Honestly, I would take Daniel Jones on my team any day over Mac Jones. It could be worse. So how could you not respect that guy? Uh, you could think, think he's not the greatest quarterback in the league. You could think he's bottom half, Dan. But how can you not respect what he's doing? He's going out there and he's he's standing behind that line every game without complaining. I think that's kind of what makes the vitriol and, and the venom that's being spewed at him so much stranger, I, I guess is the best word to describe it is because there's no, listen, you cannot like Daniel Jones, the football player, the quarterback, and, and think that he may not be the answer for the Giants. And listen, as I discussed last week, I'm a longtime Daniel Jones defender. And I, I realized this week why I come across as such a Daniel Jones apologist because the other side is so extreme. Yeah. Uh, but you could not like Daniel Jones, the quarterback, and think he's not the franchise guy and even not worth the money. But like you said, the fact that he just goes to work, doesn't point his fingers, doesn't snap back at fans, continues to just go in every day, do his job, do what he's supposed to do, put in the extra effort, never points a finger, never criticizes anybody, never fires back, never bitches, never complains. He never does any of that stuff. And yet he's like public enemy number one. And I find that to be one of the most strange dynamics that I've ever covered in my 21 years in, you know, covering the National Football League, because it just doesn't make sense from a personal standpoint. Like you can not like the player, that's fine. But to despise the player himself on such a personal level, when he's nothing but a great person by all, you know, account, you know, by all accounts, it's just such a strange dynamic. And we were talking about it before we hit record, you know, in addition to the Mac Jones stuff, but 
we're not even going to repeat some of the stuff that was said uh, about Daniel Jones at the time of his neck injury because it was that appalling. Uh, frankly, we don't have enough beat buttons to really cover up some of what was said about Daniel Jones. But it wasn't just that they were happy that he was off the field. There were fans that were thrilled with the fact that he was injured. And then on top of that, hoped that it would be a career-ending, potentially paralyzing injury. So there was no chance at him ever returning again. And that is just, like I said before, so detached from reality. There's such a lack of a moral compass for anybody who lives and breathes and thinks that way that it's it's stunning, it's appalling, and I really hate the fact that the Giants and their uh, the Giants fans are doing their best to overtake Philadelphia Eagles fans as the worst in sports. Yeah, that's a that's a strong statement right there, but it's it's doesn't look good and yeah, it's the personal stuff that is uh that is that is really hard. And you just hope people tweeting that stuff uh some of the the ugly stuff we did see well, you just hope that they're not they're the just world. trying to get clicks and they're not really exactly. they're not really it's in that stupid. kind of mindset dan right it's probably just for clicks hopefully people aren't really rooting for that kind of stuff because that's just come on yeah well i don't i don't know though because you've got the guys in the stands saying that stuff there ain't no clickbait going on there i mean yeah. that's that's a genuine that's a genuine thought that's a genuine emotion some of these people on the forums they're not gaining any kind of notoriety or celebrity by saying these things like and then you know on some of them that were on forums they, these people were doubling tripling quadrupling down you know 12 hours 24 hours 48 hours after the fact like if there was alcohol involved that's worn off by now and they're sticking with their statements and again i say i say look around the world right now like there's real world things that are happening you know bad horrible unimaginable tragedies and terror that's going on in this world and people are sitting at home and saying i hope daniel jones is paralyzed like it, it's just it's an unconscionable level of crazy, if I'm being completely honest. And I, I hate to lump all Giants fans into a group, but, but unfortunately, that's you know, that's the nature of sports. That's kind of how we do with you know the Philadelphia Eagles too. Not all of their fans are bad; just the vast majority of them. But it, it is sad that you know I'm watching social media and I'm watching these videos and these content creators and these people at forums and in person. And I'm just sitting back and, you know, you know what I absorb personally on a regular basis when it comes to these fans. It's just relentless. (laughs) Media is a tough job. Media is a tough job. It is. But to see it on the level that it's evolved to at this point is so shameful. And it's on other Giants fans to put their foot down and stop these other fans from selling their own name. Because right now, the entire fan base looks like an absolute clown show. Yeah. And Saquon Barkley basically said as much because he had to like push back against a fan actually on the sideline during the Miami game. And you know what? Like, first of all, good for Saquon. And I, I think there's not another Giants player in that locker room, Dan. I really believe this. I don't think there's another player on the Giants that wouldn't do the same thing, that wouldn't go to bat for Daniel Jones. Because the way he plays, the way, like you said, the way he doesn't complain, the way he keeps showing up, playing through injuries, taking a beating week in and week out, still showing up, uh, like that earns the respect of your teammates. I think Daniel Jones has the respect of his teammates and coaches. It's not going well. He's part of the problem. But he's not the entire problem like people like to say. It's like that's the most ridiculous take out there. But what is the overarching problem, Mm -hmm. right, Dan? Like what is the overarching problem? Like there's no question the Giants have some talent and skill issues. Um, The offensive line is just as bad as we've seen. And we've seen some bad offensive lines over the years. This is as this is the low point for them, (laughs) the way they're playing. And why are we letting Joe Shane off the hook? 
right? Did he do everything he could this offseason to bolster the offensive line? Because this was a talk, a talking point we had in the offseason. We were like, boy, we're pretty thin at tackle. Um, you know, if Andrew Thomas gets hurt, they're screwed. Andrew Thomas gets hurt immediately, right? Like, we kind of saw this coming. We, we forecasted this. It was easy to see. The cupboard was bare at tackle, especially reserve tackle, like depth. Did he do everything he could there? <clears throat> Excuse me. And, like, here's another thing. Like, I know Dayball comes from the Bill Belichick coaching tree, Dan. I know how they used to do things in New England with their offense, right? Like, the offensive coordinator meets with Bill Belichick. They formulate the game plan. Then the offensive coordinator meets with the offensive line coach. They go over all the, the blocking fits and schemes, whatever. This is probably over my head, the X's and O's of it, but whatever. The, the plan for the offensive line is going to be tailored to the game plan. They all set that all up. Then the quarterback goes to the line, sets the protection, blah, 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 Dan, right? This is what they do. What is going on between Dayball, Mike Kafka, and Bobby Johnson? Like, why? That's my question, Dan. Why can't they teach professional football players to block in, in the way they want them to in, in terms of what their game plan is each week? Like, why is it this bad? These guys are literally some of the best athletes in the world. They're in the NFL because they can block and pass protect, right? Why, why is it so hard right now for those coaches and these players to connect and figure it out? Like, it should not be this bad. It should not be this bad. What, where's the disconnect well, there? Again, like the how are you doing question to start this show. That's that's a loaded question. And <laughs> yeah. here, let's just be yeah. honest. It starts at the top. There's just, let's just start with the yes. top, all right? Yep. We talked about it on this show at length leading up to this season. The decision to cut Tyree Phillips and to go short and, and lack depth at offensive tackle was a humongous miscalculation that could not have been more obvious to anyone with a brain. It was never going to work out in the Giants' favor. It was just never going to work out in their favor. And, you know, it didn't take a Nostradamus to figure out that that was going to be a problem. And sure enough, it was an immediate problem. It is a problem. Um, and then you start going further on down the line. Dayball throughout the summer was moving these players all over. He was doing this whole Joe Judge offensive line rotation. Rotation. Thing, which again, yep, must yep. go back to the Patriots. And we said on this show, this is stupid. This is not going to work. This is a foolish decision. Dayball is a good coach and a smart man. Don't understand why he's doing this. This isn't going to work out in your favor. Then the injuries started piling up. And just like we said, Joe Shane's decision to leave the team thin at, at tackle, it, it was immediately evident that that was a problem. Um, the rotational issues, again, it's a problem because there was no continuity, not just with the players themselves uh, and where they were on the line, but for the player individually who was moving all over the place and not just practice in one position, the NFL has moved so far away from two a days and, you know, padded practices and things like that, that there just aren't enough snaps to go around when you do that. So you're short every single player on the offensive line and destroying any chance of continuity and consistency that they have. And you saw that in this last game with Joshua Zudu getting, you know, sent out to left tackle, essentially just thrown to the wolves out of, completely yep. out of position. And then it's like, all right, good luck. You know what I mean? And like, and unfortunately he plays so poorly that he ends the game in tears. And I, I can't even blame him because I understand the guilt that he's feeling for allowing the sack that injured his quarterback, who, like you said, he very much respects. But I don't blame that on Joshua Uzudu. I blame that on, on Bobby Johnson. I blame that on Brian Dable. I, I especially blame that on Joe Shane uh, for his complete oversight when it came to the tackle position. But it's just, it's not just Joshua Uzudu. It's not just one player. It's 
it's everyone across the board. Even when Andrew Thomas was in there and healthy for the 53 snaps that he was this season, it's not like he was dominating like he was, you know, the season prior. You know, in those 53 snaps, he graded out at 70.1 in pass protection. That's actually low for him. And it, ironically, it currently leads the team. It's the highest pass protection grade on the team. For anyone that has 100 or more snaps, you know, the highest grade that they've got on the team is 49.7. That is you can't survive that way. Okay. And and that's Ben Bredesen, who himself has been been moved out of position. You know, and, and Zudu, he's got almost 200 snaps. He's graded out at 40.4. Evan Neal is 35.9. Glowinski, 35. And then you got Shane Lemieux, like 26-something. Marcus McKeithen, who's 20.4. Jalen Mayfield, who stepped in and started last week, scored a zero, zero in, in pass protection. It's just impossible to survive like this. And then you've got the people who are, again, when, when it goes back to, because everything is Daniel Jones, it's it's Daniel Jones's fault. He's not setting the protections correctly. He's the reason for all these sacks. Thank goodness for talking Giants and, and, and Bobby Skinner. I would encourage everybody to go over and look at his offensive line report for this past week, because the narrative that's being spun that it's Daniel Jones's fault is not steeped in any sort of reality whatsoever. There are definitely problems, and there are certainly protection problems. And I think that speaks to the value of rookie John Michael Smith, because in his absence, things have gone from really bad to absolute disaster, like dumpster fire disaster. Uh, and, I, and I think that his absence is a big key in that because he helps set the protections himself. And in his absence, you've got guys playing out of position. you got centers who have never been centers before, and, and they're trying to get things right. And Daniel Jones has got a million other things that he's got to worry about. And if there's even one single miscommunication along that line, that's it. It's over. And you saw that last week in the viral video uh, where you know Evan Neal essentially let a guy rush completely past him. Bredesen got absolutely demolished within 0.3 seconds on on a on a uh, inside move the, the giants on the left side of the line they couldn't you know stop a stunt and the guys are colliding on jones at the exact same time by the time he gets the ball in his hands there's defenders in his face and like a, blame it on whatever you want to blame it on the top blame it on the bottom blame it on the quarterback which i think is ridiculous i, I do agree that in some sense there are sacks that are the quarterback's fault. We saw one two weeks ago when Daniel Jones ran out of bounds, you know, a yard shy of the line of scrimmage. That's a stupid mistake. That sack is obviously on him. But the vast majority of them are not. And you see that reflected in the numbers, in the analytics, and in the film itself. I mean, right now, the Giants are dead last in the NFL in pass protection grade with a 30.4. There are only two teams in the 30s. Patriots. There are only six teams. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, Patriots. Really? Oh my God. The Patriots are actually 43.8, but I'm stunned. there are only six teams. Yeah, six teams in the 40s. All right. And, and, you know, there are only 10 teams in the 50s and below. So when you're talking about how bad this offensive line is, it is exceptionally bad. They are four points behind the next worst pass protection team. So that really tells you just absolutely how ugly it is at this point. And, you know, if the individual numbers don't do it for you, or the individual analytics don't do it for you, and the, you know, team analytics don't do it for you, there are plenty of others. Like, for instance, the Giants are taking a, a sack on 15% of their dropbacks. 15%. That's five more percent than almost any other team in the entire league at this point. And, and, and again, if that's not good enough for you, last season, the worst team in the NFL gave up a grand total of 212 pressures. The Giants this season, they're on pace to give up 326 pressures. 
So I don't know what other numbers anybody needs to hear, but blaming that on Daniel Jones, there are plenty of things to blame on Daniel Jones. That's certainly not one of them. And if you want to know why this offense is an absolute pile of garbage right now, make no mistake about it. It was Joe Shane's, Joe Shane's poor personnel decisions, Brian Dayball's foolish rotation during the summer, and then playing the all these players out of positions plus injury. And, and listen, they're just not getting the job done, period. So certainly some of it has to fall on the players themselves, too, because there are a lot of mistakes being made to the point now where your, your quarterback is potentially seriously injured. It is fair to question DJ as the Giants franchise quarterback. He has not been good, but he also doesn't have a chance. How can you not look at what he's doing with some admiration and say, huh? The front office lacked a little foresight here, <laughs> you know, from the skill positions to the depth of interior offensive line. Right. We could talk about the depth behind JMS, too, if we want to. Just going to we're oh, just going to yeah. roll with our rookie center and, and hope he holds up all year. It's like, come on, be fair here. Let's like look at Joe Shane. Let's look at Dayball. Like it has not been good across the board. Real quick, Dan, I did want to mention the Miami game a little bit here. <laughs> this is where we're at with the Giants, where we barely mentioned the game. But I got a kick out of your headline. Because you said, you know, Giants lose to Miami or something like on Giants Wire. It was Giants lose 31-16 in latest embarrassment, right? And on the surface, you say, well, 31-16 in Miami, that's it's actually kind of respectable, right? And maybe that wasn't an embarrassment. But then when you watch the game, it's like you got three takeaways. You, you got takeaways from defense finally, right? Finally, the, the defense is taking the football away. Three takeaways and a pick six. So it was another takeaway in Miami territory, right? Your defense made plays. You were in this game for a while. And the offense does nothing but get the quarterback killed, right? Jones and Tyrod. And then kick long field goals, right? They just can't. I think, what is it? What's the stat? It's like two and it's like the equivalent of two and a half games without an offensive touchdown now. The Giants, they still haven't scored one in the yep. first half of a ball game. So mm-hmm. that's why this is an embarrassment, right? Dan, this is why we're not celebrating this. First of all, you could have been in this ball game. Your offense didn't show up against Miami. This is not San Francisco. This is not Dallas. This defense. Miami is built to outscore you. They're not built to shut you down, but they shut you down. It never felt like the Giants really had a shot because of the way they were playing on on offense. And I don't know. It just felt like I don't I don't want to say like the give up factor, the white flag by Dayball, but there were a few times where he said, nah. Let's kick the field goal and make this respectable instead of trying to go for it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I thought there was a there's there was a chance where you could kind of try to get the like light a little fire in the offense's ass, let him go for a fourth down here. But they're like, no, nah, let's let's just take the three. And it's just like, oh god. Well, this, I get I get that sentiment. I totally understand that. But I I don't know. Maybe he what just didn't do? want his quarterback to take another hit. Like, yeah. Maybe he's just like, you know what? Maybe maybe I'll I'll let Daniel Jones have a. A playoff and not get smashed. DJ to and have the trip I, home I, I, and not in the hospital. Right. Yeah. Well, and listen, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to give a, you know the defense a hard time, but giving up more than 520 yards and five plays of 60 plus yards or whatever ridiculous number it was. Yeah. It's not exactly like they did a particularly wonderful no, job, especially with Tyree Kill running all over the place too. It's like that's right. the guy that we don't let get behind us, guys. You know. Yeah, and, and listen. To, to be fair as well to Tua and to be critical of Tua, you know, it's not like the Giants were making these amazing defensive plays. Tua's just <laughs> making really, really bad decisions. Finally some luck, though, on defense. Uh, you know, finally. <laughs> yeah. Finally. They made some yeah. plays on D. Finally, they needed to, Dan. Yeah. And just like, can the offenses, can we have some complimentary football for well, once in our lives? I'll tell you what, if you, if you want a silver lining, Kayvon Thibodeau the last two games has been what he's supposed to be. Like, you're starting to really see him turn it on and 
and, and forget the sacks and forget the pressures, which are, you know he's, he's are on an uptick. I think the biggest telling change in his game is that he's not lollygagging when the play is away from him anymore. You see him back to chasing down players from behind and running across the field and being more engaged in, in, in you know the contact within the play itself, and that's something that he was shying away from. So I do want to give a shout out to him because that's going to get lost in everything else that's going on. Um, but back to the offensive side of the ball, yeah, it was obviously a disaster, but you heard Kurt Warner say it this week. You heard Shannon Sharp say it. You heard Brian Baldinger all say it. It's it's not only dysfunctional to the point where it can't operate. It's dysfunctional to the point where you can't actually analyze what's going on anymore. There are so many mistakes that are being made. And again, Bobby Skinner's offensive line breakdown details this in, in remarkable fashion. There are so many mistakes and breakdowns in pass protection and within the function of an offensive play that it's it's impossible to know who is at fault, who's messing up, because there are so many people messing up that it could be any one or any combination of them that's that's causing the problem. But it's just so abundant that there's no possible way to know who it is. And again, you everybody thought, oh, once DJ gets out of there, it's suddenly going to change. Tyrod was running for his life on every, he was pressured on every single snap that he took. He was running for his life. The only reason that he didn't take as many sacks as Jones took, and I'm not knocking Jones because he's supremely athletic, but Tyrod is way slipper, more slippery than Daniel Jones. And you, you saw him kind of maneuver his way out of these really ugly situations, but he himself got hurt in the game. They said, you know, that he only got the wind knock at him, but he's very lucky he didn't break a rib. Um, but he he took several big hits, and I thought he was going to get injured too. And and again, that's to me, it's proof that it's not it doesn't fit the Daniel Jones narrative when Tyrod goes in there and faces the same exact problems. Is Tyrod the one that was having problems with the protections? Was he not setting them up correctly? You didn't hear anybody say that. Interestingly enough, it was just that it was Daniel Jones. Even though Tyrod faced the same onslaught, there wasn't the same criticisms. Instead, it was oh, Tyrod looks good escaping those sacks. Well, Daniel Jones did the same thing too, you know? So again, it just goes back to the anti-Jones narrative, but I think it was very telling to watch Tyrod not just run for his life, but to get beaten into the ground. And in in the half a quarter, full quarter, whatever it was that he was in the game there, he himself got hurt. And that just tells you where things are with this offense and this offensive line. And unfortunately, there's no sign that it's going to end anytime soon. And I think that's actually a scary thing for the Giants quarterbacks, whether that's Daniel Jones or whether that's Tyrod Taylor, because if this continues, someone is going to get very, very seriously injured. Yeah, I agree. I think Tyrod's got a tough job holding that clipboard and watching what TJ's dealing with out there. And then he's like, oh, crap. I actually, I, go I felt bad for, I yeah. mean, you've heard me praise Tyrod before. And I think I've called him a hard luck quarterback. He's, yeah. he's had to deal with some BS in his life. When he was in there running for his life last week, I just, I could, I, I don't mean to laugh, but I couldn't help it. I'm just like, I feel so bad for this guy because he can't catch it. I know, nope. I'm like watching him and thinking, in his mind, he he just wants to go back on the bench right now. He wants Daniel Jones to come back in the game. He's finished. Get him out of the game. Get back on the sideline where it's safe. You He's know? like, yo, DJ's making forty million a year. Like, get him back out here. Is he okay? <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not getting paid enough to take this beating. But those are our thoughts there on the Giants. How'd you how'd you like it? How'd you feel about that, Giants fans? Let us know. Let Dan know um, on social media, Giants Wire. Uh, we got a game to uh, preview. I don't think this is going to take us very long, Dan. Uh, Giants against the Bills and Buffalo on Sunday Night Football. We'll get into that here coming up next. First, here is some fantasy advice for week six. 
Corey Bonini with TheHuddle.com here to bring you strong plays for week number six. Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Baker Mayfield versus the Detroit Lions. Detroit has allowed at least 22 fantasy points in four of the five games this year and now has significant injury losses mounting in the secondary. Mayfield has provided starting returns in half of his contests and he's coming off of a bye week. This could be a fairly high scoring event, so Mayfield is in play for those who look to stream the position. Running back Isaiah Pacheco, Kansas City Chiefs versus Denver Broncos. With a TD in three straight contests, Pacheco now has a crack at a Denver unit that has permitted running backs to score at the second highest rate. No team has surrendered more rushing yards per contest, and this is the best overall matchup for both primary fantasy scoring systems. Don't be surprised if Pacheco produces a personal best fantasy showing in week six. Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver Tyler Boyd versus Seattle Seahawks. Boyd's ceiling really hinges on whether T. Higgins returns, but he could still be useful if not. The matchup is the best in fantasy, and there's even a chance the Seahawks can post enough offense to force Cincinnati into a shootout situation. Boyd makes for a quality injury or bye week replacement versus a defense that has been the easiest to exploit for catches, the second weakest at limiting yardage, and has given up five scores in four outings. Tight end Logan Thomas, Washington Commanders at Atlanta Falcons. Chicago gave up a line of 977-1 on 11 targets to Thomas in Week 5, and he should keep it rolling versus an Atlanta defense that has yielded 7 receptions, which is the second most, nearly 63 yards, 6th highest, and a touchdown every 11.7 grabs, the 10th highest rate. He's also an interesting waiver addition for those looking to play the matchups, but he's just an all-around solid play. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. All right, next up on the schedule for the Giants, Dan, is, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to, you've got to be kidding me. Giants of Buffalo, Sunday Night Football, uh, and uh, this is bad all the way around, but what makes it even worse is that the Bills are traveling home from London pissed because they just lost one to the Jaguars, right, Dan? So, you know, Buffalo's going to be looking to bury you on Sunday night. They just got Von Miller back. Not sure if they continue to snap count Von Miller. He was on like a 20... 20 snap pitch count against the Jaguars. Maybe that'll be up yeah, to that's 30 good. or 40. That's good for, that's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good for five, the five sacks. I was going to say, how many snaps could Von Miller get in 30 to 40 snaps if they have him on a pitch count? <laughs> but uh, this is not good. The Giants are 14-point dogs uh, heading to Buffalo. We all know their track record on primetime games, and Buffalo is scary. Buffalo blasted Miami earlier this year. So how, how much do you want to – what's your take on this game, Dan? What do you, you want to say? Uh, I don't think it'll take you too long to break this one down. It's going to be so ugly, man. It's going to be so... I can't... Shame on the NFL for allowing these games to continue to play out in prime time. What does it matter with this league? This is rough. Um, I think I read this morning, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I am. I don't... So take it with a grain of salt. But I think I read this morning that Buffalo generates the most pressure of any team in the NFL uh, through five weeks of the season. So whether it's Tyrod Taylor or Daniel Jones out there, good luck, gentlemen. I feel for you. I'm very sorry for what you're about to go through on national television. Uh, I hope that you come away healthy. I'm not going to hold my breath on that. Uh, 14 points seems way too low, way too low. This game is, if you thought the other games this season have been bad, this one has the potential to be really, really ugly because that front seven for Buffalo is going to tee off on this offensive line like no one's business. And by all accounts, Andrew Thomas ain't going to be back to save him for it. So, uh, it's going to be a bad time for the Giants this Sunday night. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to – no sense in wasting my time on analysis. They're overmatched in every sense of the imagination. Uh, but like you said, Buffalo's going to come in angry. They're they're not going to be happy after that loss. They're going to want to put on a show in prime time. And, and what better time to pad your stats than against the New York Giants? So 
I don't know. Maybe go to bed early, Giants fans. I, I don't know. Yeah, this one's going to be tough. I think from a betting perspective, I would probably back the Bills at any number under 17 points like with confidence just because when the Bills do win, Dan, especially with Josh Allen in this era of Josh Allen, they win by blowouts, right? They kind of struggle in close games. Saw it again on Sunday in London, right? 25-20 game. They lose, but they blew out Miami and they blew out Washington, right? They When they win, I, I, they win going away. And so that's yeah, what happens I, I, in a game like this. They yeah. usually blow you out. Hundred percent, and I discredit any London game anyway. Uh, it's just you I know. know. It, it, listen, Jags won. All right, tip your cap to them, but that that's an anomaly. Those are the exceptions to the rule, and not the rule itself. It tends to be that way with these London games. There's never, I don't know, has there ever been a London game where you watch the game and you're like, wow, that team is playing well? Well, this one was even worse you know? because the Jaguars had stayed out there. They had played the week before out there against Atlanta, so they stayed right. in London. And Buffalo decided to travel on Thursday, and I think. Now That's, coaches are going to say, we can't do that. Like they tried to do, they, it was a uh, science. Like they, it was like analytics and science, uh, you know, sports science, Dan, whatever it is. I'm probably butchering that, but the science says you travel Thursday night, get in Friday morning, stay up all day Friday and then sleep Saturday night. And that gives you the best chance. Let's get your body ready for the game and acclimated. And give, give <laughs> that me a break. Horrible give me a break. That That's sounds what the bills horrible did. Horrible. That's what they did. And oh yeah, they came out sleepwalking. Didn't score a point in the first quarter. They're down 11 nothing, right? And then what really killed him is Matt Milano went out with a broken leg, which is brutal. Yeah, so they rough. the Bills are down Trey White, their best corner, and they're now down Matt Milano, their excellent middle linebacker. They are getting Von Miller back. They also lost another guy in London, uh, Daquan Jones. I might be mispronouncing his first name, Draquan, Daquan. Uh, but he's like a big 300-pound moose in the middle. Uh, so they're down a few guys. They have injuries, Dan. Um it just sucks that the Giants aren't in a spot where they can take advantage of any of that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's going to make much of a difference, but you know, you could have been getting the bills at a good time given their injuries and they are nicked up on defense, key guys down and Von Miller possibly at a pitch count still, but the Giants aren't in a spot right now where they could take advantage. So I would still back the bills uh, to win big Bills, you know, bills mafia would say bills by a billion, right? It's just, it's one of those games. They're gonna, they're gonna run away with this one. I don't, I don't think the Giants will even keep it as close as they did against Miami, personally. No, I don't think so. I, I hate to say it. I hate to be that kind of, you know, pessimistic kind of guy. But I, I don't know what anybody has watched over these last five weeks. It's like, yeah, the Giants have a chance in this <laughs> How game. How many Giants like, fans are optimistic at this point? Come on. Um, there were none that thought they were going to win last week. I mean, uh, the fa- any better, like, it, it's sort of amazing because I've never seen it before. But um 100% of all experts picked Miami to win last week and 100% of all fans who made a bet picked Miami to win last week. I, obviously, you can't get any more lopsided than that, but I imagine it's going to be exactly the same this week. No money line and bets for four, the Giants. <laughs> yeah, and 14 points, I don't know, man. I'd be surprised if the Giants score at all, all at this point. So, you know, and that's not, an, again, that's not going to be a knock on Tyrod if he's the one behind center. It's just, you know, that's just the nature and reality of where this offense is. And like I said earlier, there's no Andrew Thomas coming to save this team. So, you know, I don't know if John Michael Smith is going to come back. If he does, maybe that provides him a little bit of a boost. Um, but I don't know, necessarily know that it's going to be enough um, against that front seven. It has the potential to be really ugly and more than just going in and worrying about the loss, you know, kind of looking at it like, I just hope that the quarterbacks don't get seriously injured. Yeah. No. And to, and to your point, like we meant, I mentioned this earlier. I didn't, I couldn't find it in my notes, Dan. I just found it. Uh, like the confidence 
Dayball has in his offense right now is is not good. Maybe he is just protecting his players, as you said, because he's watching his offensive line incapable of blocking. Again, grown NFL professional football players that can't block, which is that's their job. They get paid millions of dollars to do it. I my, that blows my mind it's, that they can't figure it out. It's the crazy, yeah, it's the craziest <laughs> thing because it's not just like they're getting beat in the one on ones. They're not touching the dudes. Yeah, there are so many free rushers coming coming at the quarterback right now that it's it's obscene. It's unheard of. I actually saw. Was it Chad Johnson? It might have been Chad Johnson. I, I can't remember who it was, but and it was sort of a tongue-in-cheek comment, but there was some level of realty to it. Um, one former player said earlier this week, they tweeted that uh, maybe the NFLPA should step in before someone on the Giants gets severely injured. And again, it was sort of like a tongue-in-cheek comment, but there was some basis in reality of it. Um, because you watch this team and you watch the film and it's just, and you do, that's like, you're not just evaluating the plays anymore. Like, like Evan Neal, for example, he keeps flying his, his hips open. He keeps crossing his legs when he takes his, when he gets into his past sets, which is just a nightmare of a scenario for him. But it's hard to like sit there and hone in on that because by the time it takes your brain to process what has happened, the quarterback is already killed in the backfield. So, you know, like I said, there is some level of realty to that tweet, like, and I don't think the NFLPA should step in, obviously, but it is so disastrous that you've got former players looking at it going, this is so bad, I've never seen anything like it before, maybe the NFLPA should step in. And I think that speaks volumes about actually how bad this is, because, again, I've been doing this for 21 years, and I've seen some brutally bad Giants offensive lines, like ones where I never thought it could get worse. This is by far the worst offensive line play that I've ever seen, not just in my career, but in my entire life. <laughs> yep. And there's the mic drop. There's nothing else to say. I don't have any rebuttal for that, Dan. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, but this is what I was going to say. Like in the past, I've actually criticized Dayball for being too aggressive with some of his fourth down decisions, right? Like, yeah. I remember yep. Thanksgiving last year. I was like, dude, we're in the game. We're winning. Like, why are you going for it on fourth down in your own territory? He's giving the ball back to Dallas, giving them a short field. Like, come on, like, let's play football a little bit. Let's have some confidence in the players. But it was the opposite. We, we saw it in Miami. And this is that that sequence I wanted to bring up. Fourth and six from the Miami 19. It's literally the Giants' first snap from the red zone all game, Dan, with uh, 426 left in the third quarter. You're down 24 to 10. Uh, and they kicked the field goal there. They kicked the field goal. This is after the interception that set you up on the plus side of the 50. Like, since when does Dayball kick the field goal there down 14? With 4.26 left in the third quarter, like that one just like, what are we doing? That's not day ball. He, he always is aggressive in that situation. And also, your offense can't get in the red zone to begin with, so you might as yeah. well take your shot now. But he kicked the field goal. So for me, it's just like, maybe it's to your point. We're going to get out of here as healthy as we possibly can, um, and we're going to try to make the score respectable, which is, I mean, I don't know how you like that as a fan. Like, that's not a good sight. I thought that was kind of an no. ugly decision there. Uh, it's fourth and six from the 19. We're running out of time. You're down 14. The offense is really struggling. They haven't scored a touchdown forever. Like, let's try to let's try to make a play here. Let's just try to figure it out. Like, you had Waller going. Like, let's let's figure something out. Get a first down. Try to go score a freaking touchdown. Uh, but they kick a field goal to make it 24 to 13. It's like, what are we freaking doing? Uh, so that was the sequence I wanted to bring up earlier. Well, you got to put yourself in Dayball's shoes. You could say that you're confident in this team. But there ain't no possible way that you watch that film and you watch what happens on the field and you're confident that they're going to be able to make that play. Uh, and that, unfortunately, is the reality of where this Giants offense is. And blame it on whoever you want to. I don't care. Blame it on the offensive line. Blame it on Daniel Jones. Blame it on the receivers. Blame it on the play calling. It doesn't make any difference. You can't possibly look at that scenario and that play and think, 
you're going to come away with anything. At that point, you're like, ah, if we can get three, that's great. We get three because, you know, who knows what happens. You run that play. But I tell you what wasn't going to happen. They weren't going to get the first down. They weren't going to score. Yeah. I mean, they could have dropped the ball right into Darren Waller's hands and he'll drop it on the on the ground because we watched that happen last week, too. Uh, so, you know, it's hard to have faith in anything that's going on out there right now. So take the points, I guess, and live the fight another day. All right. Time up. So we, we don't want to pay for another session, Dan. So we're just going to we're going to cut it there and we'll pick this thing back up next week for our next <laughs> therapy session next week. Sound good? Sounds good. I have a feeling it's going to be very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, might you know, rinse, wash and repeat, whatever that whatever the hell that saying is. But yeah, for Dan Benton, I'm Ryan O'Leary. We'll be back next week to break down Giants bills. That should be a lot of fun. If you want to get crazy, the Giants are plus 583 on the money line. Plus 583, Dan. That's a good value if you think the Giants have an upset in them. Uh, but we don't we don't see that coming. But uh, we will uh, no. either way. We will be back to break down what happens in that ball game and all the other crap going on with the team. Looking forward to it, and we will catch you then. Thank you.